there, everyone. Welcome once again to the Living the Grace Life podcast, episode 12. We have two back-to-back special episodes coming up for you, a Good Friday episode and an Easter Sunday one as well. We want to welcome Wayne Dallaire, our studio man behind the curtain there. Wayne, how are you? Oh, fantastic. Wayne, thank you. don't you feel so much more affirmed now that he actually acknowledges you at the front end of the show. It's not it's yes. actually a window, not a curtain. It's as if maybe this window will be torn in two. Well, I just our show. I just appreciate that you are coming out of your I tried, temple Joe. I into tried. the street where the men are to, to interact with us. For those Thank who don't you. know who that uh, antagonist is, that would be Pastor Joe Davis of Grace Life Church and I think they our audience probably knows you by now, I'm going to say, Joe. They recognize not only you, but your musical taste. Uh, we've heard Ambrosia. We've heard Michael McDonald. We don't know what's coming next. It's Holy Week, so we maybe we did have the Who. <laughs> We're going to keep it standard this time around. There's so many shows that talk about the resurrection of mm-hmm. Christ the crucifixion of Christ, but not many talk about what the day was like almost the morning leading up to it. So Good Friday, we're going to be, why is it called Good Friday? Some call it Holy Friday. Some call it Great Friday. Of course, some call it Black Friday because that's kind of what it was then. So we're going to get your take on that and your take on performance. I want to hear a little bit about, a lot of people say now, why do I need to worry about my performance? Because Christ has already done what it is that I cannot do for myself. I think you have a real interesting take on that as well. So we will get that from you. We will also be hearing from Dan Haug, the associate pastor up at Round Hill Community Church. Dan, a buddy of mine, he was out in Paris at the American Church for a couple of years with the youth ministry. He just got back from the Holy Land. Have mm. you been, Joe? Yes, I, I have. T- when were, when were you out there? Um, I think I would say 98. Is it all? Is it? 99, something like that. Is it everything, everyone, someone, we have to do that? I've been told that it's. you. Well, you have to do it if you have the right tour guide. Oh, interesting. There's a lot of different ways to do it. For us, we had an American tour guide who had studied in Jerusalem archaeology, but oh, he also wow. had studied at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a reformed teacher, so he and I were simpatico when it came to theology. How did you dial that one up? Wow. <laughs> I didn't. It was, it was uh, God's sovereignty, yeah. as a reformer would believe in. Wow. And I just loved the way that he, he taught it. He basically preached Jesus' sermons from the different locations, and That's it was just unreal. fabulous. It was fabulous. We'll have to get some info. Is he, oh, if he's still doing it, we should get some info His on His name that. is Yoni Garish. I'll see if I can't look Let's him up. Let's see if we can for people. So we're going to talk to Dan about that. We're also going to take a look at the first four chapters that we've done so far of your book, The Grace Life, What Philippians Teaches Us About Loving One Another Relentlessly. I went back. I even I read all four chapters again. Uh, did Joe. we miss anything? We Well, I wouldn't say we missed anything. I would say it takes on a different look when we're taking the lens of the resurrection mm. or the lens of the crucifixion. It's what Paul is saying that maybe we didn't pick up on in that particular lens. So we're going to look at that. And it's all coming up here, episode 12 of the Living the Grace Life podcast.
kick off this Good Friday show, we have on the line Round Hill Community Church's associate pastor, and what I would really prefer to call him is Dan the Fan. He was my cohort on our Paris Sports show. Dan Haug, the associate pastor there in Greenwich, Connecticut. Dan, me and you did a sports show out there in Paris. Joyful Jim and Dan the Fan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm still a fan of you, Jim, and I'm still a fan of all my Boston sports teams. So I'm doing very well here. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, I had to throw that in there. The, I'm sorry. The Boston, Boston sports teams. I. That's what yes. he said. I did. And uh, we've had a good time. And that's all we have for our podcast today, everyone. We'll see you next week on Living the Grace Life. No, just kidding. He didn't stutter. That's right. Dan, it's just, it's it's great to have you here. And, you know, here it is, Holy Week. And I'm there watching my, you know, Instagram feed. I'm seeing one amazing (laughs) picture after another come out. And it's you there walking in the paths of Christ and everything that went on there in Jerusalem. Tell, tell us about, well, first, how did this trip, this recent trip come about? How did you decide to go there? Was it intended here for Holy Week? Was it something your church did? How, how did this come about? Yeah, great question. So five years ago, I had the privilege and opportunity to go to the Holy Land uh, when I was part of the American Church in Paris. We were part of an association that would hold a conference every year for pastors. And so the conference was in the Holy Land. So I went five years ago and my whole life was turned upside down in a good way because of my experience there, walking in the footsteps of Christ and experiencing both the Old Testament and the New Testament, these stories coming alive to me really uh, in a significant way. So I, I vowed then five years ago, if I was ever at a church, a congregation had the opportunity to lead a group of people to have that same spiritual awakening and experience that I had. I wanted to do that. So uh, a couple of years ago, after I left Paris, came to this church in Connecticut, I started to plant these seeds around Holy Week two years ago uh, through my sermons, through podcasts, just sharing with my church uh, the experience I had at the Holy Land. And one by one, it started just with individual conversations, people saying, you know, I've never been. If that's something that you would consider leading, I think I would go. So we, we started to plan it. We put the word out about 18 months ago and, uh, and had some overwhelming responses of the people in our church because our church and its 40 plus year history had never gone to the Holy Land. And in oh, fact, the wow. majority of people in our church had never been. And this was a church, or this is a church of very well-traveled people. And sure. the one place that they've never been was the Holy Land. Huh. That's unbelievable that that hadn't even occurred. That So you decide, okay, I'm going to take them. This is now going up to Holy Week. So here we are on this mm-hmm. Good Friday episode. Would, were you impacted, would you say, more by being there here as we were teeing up Holy Week? When you were there, was there something that you felt that was even more compelling? Because here it is. These are the moments that we've read about and we talk about over and over and over again, not only each year, but throughout the course of the year. Um, what, what does that feel like and how did the congregation take to that? Yeah, I mean, we chose to go specifically during the season of Lent, uh, as close to Holy Week as possible, but not during Holy Week, because it's it's quite busy there, as you can imagine, during Holy Week, sure. and we have our own services here. 
So we wanted to go closer to the time where we would be um, remembering and retelling these sacred stories from Scripture of Jesus and his ministry and his teachings, his triumphal entry and Palm Sunday to the, the betrayal and the garden, the arrest, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, all these stories every year, Holy Week, we preach on and we read. But for many, and this was their words, they said, you know, the words were, were good and, and inspiring, but they just seemed like words on a, on a paper. But when I went to the Holy Land and I actually saw those spots, and we read the stories together out loud, standing on those spots, overlooking the same scenes that Jesus would have saw, the stories mm. just popped from the page and they became real to people. And I was hoping and praying that that would happen doing the trip so close to Holy Week. And uh, the other aspect is the weather is actually quite nice there. If you go in the summertime, it's just too hot to go and you don't want to go when it's too cold. So uh, April is a good time to go to Israel. Dan. I had the privilege of going back in, I think, 98 or 99. We had an amazing tour guide. I know you would tell everyone that's what really makes a difference is who is showing mm -hmm. you around and, and their knowledge of Scripture. What was your favorite site? I have my favorite site, but what was your favorite site when you went? The one that you said, man, if I had to go maybe on a two-day trip, this is definitely one I'd want to take people to. Mm, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, there's so many amazing right cards, right? There's so many amazing <laughs> sites, and they're all so different. Uh, for me, I would, I, I probably the garden tomb outside of Jerusalem, which is a relatively new site. And, you know, they've, they've traced back some of the archeological discoveries and as a possible site where Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. Uh, but for me, it, it certainly looked and sounded exactly as I pictured that Easter Sunday morning. You know, there's a, a rock tomb, the stone, stone is rolled away, there's gardens there, and there's a sense of peace and a sense of, of presence, I think, there. Uh, more so than that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which everyone goes to, which is the traditional spot. You know, we were waiting in line for an hour and a half with people, and it was crowded and busy and noisy, and you leave and you think, oh, okay, I just didn't, I didn't feel a connection there necessarily. Mm. But when we went to the garden tomb, out in the beauty of this preserved nature and creation. To me, both times I went five years ago and then today, I just sat there in the quiet and the stillness, reading those resurrection stories from that first Easter, looking out on what perhaps was the actual tomb or perhaps not, but sure. getting a sense of what that morning would have looked like, what that morning would have felt like. And for me, it was, it was very moving, very moving experience. Dan, so another question I had for you. My favorite spot was actually the southern steps of the temple that I'll get in with Jim mm -hmm. later on. But I love the southern, especially the mikvah pools and the explanation of what happened that day in Acts chapter 2 when Peter mm -hmm. is preaching in languages that other people understand. And they think, wow, this guy must be drunk. How can he speak my language? And uh, he's sharing the gospel. Did you get a chance to go to the southern steps of the temple? And what did you see there? What did you learn? What did you hear? We didn't get a chance to go to that site, but we did get a chance to go to some of the other sites associated with uh, with the temple. Cool. That's awesome. Dan, on the garden scene, you said this was a newer site. Is this just something they've recently discovered? Like you're saying on the archaeological mm -hmm. digs, this is something because I, the way that it's sort of pictured, the stone apparently that is rolled in front and then rolled away, this 
Is this the area that you're talking about, right where the tomb would have been? Well, I mean, traditionally, the spot that pilgrims had been going to, to pray and to worship going back to like 320 AD is the spot that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was built on top of. And very, Got very it. little remains of, of the actual spot, supposedly, where Jesus was, uh, was buried and raised from the dead. This other spot was discovered back in the 60s, 1960s, just outside of the old city. So, I mean, a stone's throw from the old city. And someone discovered it by looking out of their balcony. There's this cliff, and the face of the cliff looks like a skull. I mean, truly, it looks like a, like a big, massive stone skull. Well, this is the uh, Golgotha, I guess. The cor- uh, Correct, Gol- Golgotha, yeah. the place of the skull. And then uh, within 100 feet from that, they discovered 2,000-year-old Jewish burial caves. And huh. one of them had, uh, you walk in this little entranceway, and they had two spots, and they've also discovered a large millstone that had been in front of that, student, that tomb, which would have been common for most of the graves, but, you know... All of the things that describe that Golgotha and, and the burial tomb from 2,000 years ago, they discovered in this spot. And so it's, rel- yeah, it is relative compared to the 2,000-year history. It's a very relatively neat discovery. Sure. And when we were there, we got to see that too. And I think what our tour guide told us, and I think you would agree with this, Dan, it might have been the spot, but even if it wasn't, it's a more accurate portrayal of what the actual tomb probably was like it wasn't that one it might have been another one in that in that organizational structure but that's Mm -hmm. probably more likely than the holy sepulcher the church of the holy sepulcher oh agreed i mean the church of the holy sepulcher if you walk into this massive cathedral and they they built this shrine a huge shrine on top of the foundations of an older church which were built on top of the remains that they think might have been the, the tomb of Jesus. So it, it, it's very disconnected from the original weird, story. Yeah. very weird yeah, experience and, when exactly. I was there. It was, and they have this, uh, this fountain of anointing oil in the front when you first walk in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't that's, know if that's still there or not, but that was kind of, it was You know, it reminds strange. me, of first, when I was in the Sistine Chapel and I was expecting to be this sort of blown away moment, and literally there were hundreds of people inside there eating lunch, a lot of noise, a lot of people running around like crazy. It was dark. I couldn't really see. I mean, I'm looking up. And so it just reminds me as these things become very like a spectator sport, when they when the crowds come, it's it's hard to see. As I was rereading the story, it, it looked to me like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jesus was kind of up all night that Thursday before. Like mm. it doesn't say Jesus slept. Kind of try. I don't if know he, if where he did, he, it wasn't a good night. It sleep. wasn't a good sleep. And the crucifixion begins early. I always pictured it. I don't know. I pictured it later. It seems to be in the morning slash, mm-hmm. you know, 9, 10 a.m. maybe it's happening. And then- It had to be, well, had to be done well before sunset. Right. And then he's, he lasts six hours. That's horrible. Like, could, could you, were your members who had not been there, Dan, were they feeling because of the sort of, again, the spectators around stuff, could they feel the depth of what had happened anywhere, either on that side or near that side? Yeah, that's, that's actually a great question and observation. So as much as we were almost in despair of the commercialization and the, mm. the thousands of people that were there, it just, it, it did give an indication of probably the, the crowds and the masses of people that were there. I mean, it was a very, it was 
very busy time of, of the year in Jerusalem. And, you know, I'm sure that when Jesus was being handed over and brought to trial, the crowns were swarming all around him. When you walk the Via Della Rosa, it's a busy, narrow, crowded street as it was back then. So Jesus probably had the masses of the people pressing in on him. It was loud. It was busy. It was noisy, chaotic. So that scene is sort of similar today as well. It, huh. It's not that peaceful walk that you would maybe somehow think it would have been, but then you right. realize, no, it wouldn't have been peaceful. It would have been loud and chaotic. And you know, we were able to actually walk the steps from when he was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's huh. just in the base of a little hill. You walk up a hill and you, to Caiaphas's house, where he was probably held yeah. um, that night, a stone pit that when you, they know prisoners were lowered into this stone pit by a rope and held there overnight huh. awaiting the full trial. So we don't know if that happened to Jesus. We know he went to Caiaphas's house. We don't know if it was exactly that, that pit, but we actually were able to go down into that pit and look up and think, perhaps Jesus was here for a few hours that night, huh. not sleeping. And those pits are not intended to get a good night's rest. <laughs> wow. Awaiting what he knew would be an unfair, unjust trial and then the crucifixion. And then from there walked over to Pilate's, you know, fortress area. And then we just walked those steps. And so, yeah, I think being in that city, going to those sites and experiencing that as much as you can get an understanding of the emotions and the difficulty of that, of those final few hours that Jesus uh, had to go through. Uh So I have a pastoral question for you. If you're preaching uh, an Easter sermon or teaching an Easter lesson or a Good Friday message or whatever. What's the best way for you? Because obviously when you're preaching a message, you can't just go through your slides, <laughs> you know, look at here. Right. For you, how would that impact you mostly when it comes to how you now communicate the gospel in this Holy Week as you would maybe before you left? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. I mean, one, yes, you can't just go through your slides, but you can choose a picture. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And so we have a, a, a bulletin we call in the order of service, and we always have a piece of artwork on the, on the cover. So sometimes an important picture, a picture that I took or a team member took of a place that we were can help set the scene. But I also mm. believe in telling stories and in helping people use their imagination because now I can be able to, as I'm preaching or as I'm setting up a scripture passage I'm going to be reading, I can have people close their eyes and I can help them envision what it looks like because I was just there. When you mm. don't do that, you read it, and sometimes there's not that many details, or sometimes you, in your own mind you imagine what it might have looked like. But hearing it from someone else who was just there, who can actually walk you through that as much as possible, I do think helps somebody enter into the story. And then what I have done and what I will do this weekend is simply preach about my personal experience, what it was like for me to be there, and how the story, I heard it anew, I experienced it new, and really just the living presence of Christ. So I think trying to share from personal experience and doing the best job I could to set the scene and reframe the context and to offer greater perspective with greater details, because I was there. And I also hope that maybe I might leave people wanting to go. <laughs> so if we oh, propose yeah. for a couple oh, of years, we might have people goodness. say, wow, that's, that's Oh, yeah, Dan, that would be, uh, we would love it. Uh, real quick, Dan, last, as I'm sitting here thinking, if I'm in that spot, and like you were saying, the weather, you know, it's going to be, it's hot. 
Um, I didn't sleep good. I was in a pit. I know this is the end. I just got tried for something I didn't do. I want. I wonder if Christ was like, you know what? Just let's get this. I, I want to die. This this is horrible. Think of all those hours. You'd just be mm-hmm. like, thank God I'm going to die because this is the worst. Why have you forsaken me? Like, mm. I, I would just, so for me and my own suffering, I always feel like that I have to go, thank God I have to die to myself because, I don't know, is that an analogy, Joe, that you would uh, use in the you know, sense that for like, me, he must have, that suffering part, had to be horrible. I think from Christ's perspective, being who he was and his understanding, there's so much of his travails from from the garden mm. to the tomb that was part of prophecy that he knew he had to endure. And I think it's almost like each one, so this is supernatural, while his the emotional, mental, physical anguish of each step, mm. I can't help but think, and this is speculation, that the that the the eternal part of him, the the heavenly father part of him, the God part of him was finding satisfaction in fulfilling prophecy, Prophecy. fulfilling obedience, fulfilling this is for those I'm going to adopt. This is for those who are who are dead spiritually that I am going to resurrect once I am uh, once I complete my power over the grave. And so while I follow what you're saying on yeah. the mental, physical side, I think the spiritual component of Christ Joy of found pleasure, yeah. not pleasure. I know what you mean. Right yeah. Satisfaction in, I am getting this done for all eternity. Huh. That's a great way mm-hmm. to put it. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. You- and I think I, I agree. And I, you know, at the end, when, and when he knew that it was all completed the way it was supposed to go, the way it needed to go, he said, it is finished. Uh, and no, and I think and there was a relief, relief and satisfaction knowing that it was God's will and not his will. There was no opportunity for shortcuts in Holy Week. Right. None. Not not one aspect of it. It was all sovereignly planned, sovereignly overseen, and sovereignly carried out to the nth degree. Uh, and it is the reason. Listen, here's the thing. For Jesus's whole life, the enemy is trying to disrupt his ability to be the good shepherd, mm-hmm. the, the the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If one iota of Holy Week could not happen just the way it was planned, the sacrifice would be null and void. He would not be the perfect lamb of God. And so the resurrection power is actually in the minute, horrendous details. Yeah. Every one of them, the crown of thorns, uh, the label above his head, the, the, the piercing Jews, of the yeah. side, all of that is prophecy Isaiah. that makes him the perfect Lamb of God. Oh, what a way to open it up. That's, Amen. That's beautiful. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us and just letting oh, us pleasure. sort of thank tap into some of that Holy Week that you uh, got to experience. And I have one more question for you, Dan. Are, this Holy Week, I know we're celebrating the resurrection on Sunday, but isn't it true that you are grieving over the Gronk retiring Aren't you grieving <laughs> over that? Yes, but in in Bill we trust. In Bill Belcher we trust. So you have all to. All will be well. He has a track record. I'm not well. going to be buying that, that currency. Does. So. <laughs> <laughs> thank Dan, you, Dan. Thank I you so much, Absolutely. Dan, for Great all of that. You guys have a blessed Monday, Thursday, blessed Holy Week, and an awesome Resurrection Sunday. You too. All right. 
Thank you. All right. Bye, thanks, guys. Dan. That was awesome. Thanks, Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you. That was great. That segment there with Dan, Joe, really, I always knew the suffering that was there, but I think I was really feeling the suffering, almost thinking, well, for me to die to self can be that kind of suffering, and it's not as bad as what Christ just went through. But then you put it a whole nother way that was, he knew that he was fulfilling prophecy, and this had to go the distance. He had to get everything right, A to Z. I don't think I've ever thought about that, knowing what's coming A to Z. Like, you can't skip... You well, can't he, skip a step. He had, see, there were several deadlines that he knew he had to meet, and he had to meet them with pain and anguish. Uh, he had to do them perfectly. And so in some ways, Good Friday, in reality, is perfect Friday. He had to be perfect. And think about it. It wasn't just Good Friday. He had to be perfect. He had to be perfect the whole Holy Week. Mm. He had to be perfect his whole 33 years on earth. Every moment was scripted to a point where he had to fulfill a prophecy and he would knock these out one at a time. And I don't, you know, I don't know if he had a checklist. Did he write down <laughs> that one's done? Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah is done, right, you know, <laughs> lamentations going through, but it's pretty amazing to think about just as he's going through, particularly once he's arrested to the point where he is uh, laid in the tomb, uh, has one more checklist after that, which is to defeat the grave that he's thinking it for me to defeat the grave. Uh-huh. I have to be the perfect lamb and I have to do things just like this. The crown, the robe, the being mocked, the beating, the spitting on me, the scourging, all of that being betrayed by those who I loved. All of that I have to endure to be the perfect lamb of God, be the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, well associated with grief, I must be well associated with all of this pain that I'm experiencing so that my children, who I am going to resurrect, who are dead in sins, and I'm going to make them alive, the only way I can do that is to have a perfect Friday. That must be, the, like you said, the supernatural way of knowing. I guess if I knew that what I was doing was going to be able to give life to humanity, a new birth the ministry of reconciliation here. I'm going to actually, through my death, conquer. Knowing that, I, I'm still, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm still not, like, I still don't think I could, well, the burden, I could the, do it. The, well, it's, no. you know why? Because you know the burden of being perfect is impossible for you, humanly speaking. That's why. Uh. And that is why it's an overwhelming thought. And so for us, when we reflect on Good Friday here at the Living the Grace Life podcast, I think the best way for us to think about it is, man, it was perfect suffering. There were no mistakes in his suffering. It Uh, was perfect. How could that, I mean, for him and to know it was coming. Like if you ever had something that you knew you didn't want to do and you're waiting, it's coming. Okay. And it's never something this, like it's. Avoiding pain is how we have such issues within our society. Of just and we went through several podcasts talking about the necessity for Can you suffering. Like, and and these crown of thorns to be pounded on my head in three, two, one. It's just 
That's that's yeah, the concept. Right. It's almost better not to know. It that that's the, coming, may, probably right? makes the suffering worse. I would think it would. It really would. So well thank the, you, the Jesus. good news. Yes. Thank you, Christ, for everything you've done for us and for the reasons that you did it. This love that we cannot experience anywhere outside of within you and in your presence. That's our Good Friday special. Join us coming up Easter Sunday. We're going to do a special Easter show. That one is coming up. You'll see next uh, dropped on our podcast. But for now, this is episode 12 of Living the Grace Life on behalf of studio host Wayne Dallaire, senior pastor Joe Davis, and the rest of the crew here at Jump Dog Audio Productions. I'm Jim Hobbs. See you next time. And remember, whatever you do each and every day, keep looking to Christ so he can keep you living the grace life.